0: On today's menu, we have potentially, or probably, the best NFT project so far in 2023. We have also one of the best ways to learn about uh, NFTs, Web3 and Crypto. And we have music, music and uh, NFTs, which, I mean, it's got everything. And all of this followed by today's deep dive with Rebecca Orlov. Okay, let's get into it.
1: Welcome to Marketing Meets Web3, the podcast where we share news and ideas about Web3. This show is for entrepreneurs and marketers looking for insights about the technology, opportunities, and issues surrounding this fascinating evolution of the web. Today's conversation is for information purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice.
0: Hello, Nick. How are you doing? Hi, Alberto, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing awesome, although not as awesome as um, some of the people who have some of these NFTs that we are gonna start discussing in a second. Are you willing to um, to listen to me talking about um, NFTs from Reddit for a minute? Tell me more. <laughs> yes. So you will remember, or you probably remember that uh, in the previous episode we had Kyle Reedhead uh, with us and. Um, One of the topics that we discussed with him was uh, Reddit's uh, avatars, these NFTs that uh, have been launched by Reddit.
2: Yeah, no, it's a really exciting project. And I think one of the best examples of how to bring uh, digital collectibles, NFTs, avatars, whatever you decide to call them, uh, how to bring those to a large audience. So I think there's some really interesting lessons to be learned from Reddit. Uh, so, So tell me more.
0: Yeah, I remember that Kyle was very excited about this. Uh, we, well, he got us very excited about this project. And this is why I wanted to discuss it today as part of our news. But uh, looking at their numbers, I could see that uh, they've gone from 2 million uh, sold, let's say, of uh, these avatars to 7.2 only from December 2022 to February 2023. So it's, uh, it's 5 million pretty much in uh, three months, which is, uh, I think an amazing growth of this uh for any kind of NFT project and I think it's probably one of the biggest if not in the top if in the top 10 and um, uh, it will be close to be to be in there and uh, it's basically a a NFT an NFT connected to to, to the Reddit platform it's a uh, a possibility for Reddit users to have a, an avatar to have uh, this uh what this uh, profile of them in in Reddit that they completely own right because uh, as an nft is something that they have in their wallets and that they can uh, uh, make sure that uh, belongs to them this is this is it so i think what is interesting about this project is to discuss how they made it to this uh, point where they are at the moment and how they made it to to be to be so big and i think um one of the most important aspects that uh, took them here was uh, the sense of community that uh, lives within uh, the Reddit users. Reddit to me has always been a social platform that I haven't, uh, I haven't had the pleasure to enjoy, but the people who really uh, love or who really use Reddit, they really love it. Uh, at least this is my experience. And this could be part of the reason why when they launched this uh, NFTs, they really, they really had an uh Let's say they were really coveted by by their users. I don't know what's your what's your opinion on this.
2: Yeah, I, I I agree. So I've I've been a Reddit user for quite a while. Um, you know, ten years ago, Reddit was an entirely different type of service. Um, but it's always been community at the core. So the big thing about Reddit is the idea of a subreddit, which are basically topic based communities. They're these sub communities within this huge uh, sea of users that are all interested in a particular topic. And they, they dive into a subreddit and they talk about it and people come on board as volunteer moderators and they really kind of self-curate their own community, which is, I think, unique about Reddit when it comes to online behavior. Um, a lot of communities and other platforms uh, don't have those same characteristics. And you don't see people, I think, investing as much time or energy into growing and protecting and nurturing the community. So I think, you know, Reddit probably identified this on identified this pretty early on in their game plan for these avatars and decided that that was going to be uh, you know, an aspect that they were going to dig in on was this strong sense of community. So I mean, first of all, those numbers are staggering, right? I mean, 5 million in just a few months. That's incredible. For for any project, even a web 2 project, that's incredible. And now we're talking about web 3. The interesting thing I think is that You know, many people who minted these these avatars or these digital collectibles, as they're calling them, uh, probably didn't even realize that they were an NFT. Now, they are. The person fully owns it and they can be transferred away from Reddit. Like you said, it's it's up to the user to decide what they want to do with that. But by leaning into that community aspect and really uh, positioning this as a way for people to display their status and their unique flavor within the community... I think they they really tapped into something unique here. Um, so where do you think this is headed in terms of how this evolves for Reddit? Well,
0: that's the tricky part, right? Because uh, when uh, I was uh, reading about reading about this reading <laughs> reading about this uh, piece of news and about the growth of uh, this project. What I what I found is that well, these um, NFTs are customizable by by the users and uh, this is about as much utility as You could see, you know, from, from this, from these NFTs. So to me, I think the, the reason for, for the success, for the success of this project is not so much, you know, the, um, the future that this uh, that these NFTs pose as today, because I don't know what will happen with it, of course, in the in the coming months or years. But uh, as of today, really, the the utility is is not that much. Although it could be, well, of course, it, it has it has value for for the users because they they really see the the value in holding their own their own NFTs. And um, what really what really drives uh, my uh, attention to to this to this project is, uh, is more like the way they they made it to to make it so up, so so interesting for the users despite the let's say uh, lack of uh, of utility. And I think in here they did a very good job targeting um, their audiences and um, and presenting this project as uh, something which wasn't. An NFT. We've been talking about NFTs when discussing these avatars, but uh, Reddit ha- haven't hasn't done that. They they presented this as a digital collectibles, which um, I think uh, has a different um, tone or has a different uh, perception to users. And I think this also helped to to make this project uh, the success that that it is. So in terms of uh, future utility for this project, I don't know. We're gonna be talking about some other utilities that are coming up from from web3 projects in some of our in some of our other pieces of news today but uh, before we move on to the next one what do you think could be the future of this
2: so here's here's where i think this goes for reddit collectibles um there is a a lot of buzz out there right now around this idea of dynamic nfts i know we're really excited about them and it's this idea that an NFT does not have to be a static image. When NFTs first came into public awareness, it was all about having this image on the blockchain that had these attributes, this rarity, which created scarcity within this collection of images, and that those images and the data, the tr- the traits and the rarity would never change, right? It was, it was cemented into the blockchain. And I actually think that projects like Reddit and Starbucks... Uh, for example, are set to challenge that notion that these NFT assets have to be static. I think dynamic NFTs is what's coming next. And so I can really see Reddit leaning into the dynamism within their own community. So, you know, Reddit has a vibrant community. It's got lots and lots of participation. People are very engaged on Reddit. And I could see them using the NFTs as kind of a surface area um, to show people how they're engaging within the community so for inst- for instance maybe you're a helpful moderator or maybe you uh give somebody a useful comment and people's interaction with you when they thank you when they upvote your comment for instance could now start changing your nft and that could feed it back into your avatar so that your avatar is actually changing to reflect your own unique personality and your contribution within a community. So I think that's where this goes. I think the the web3 aspect right now is a trojan horse with Reddit collectibles. I think that for the people who don't even know or care that they're holding an NFT, in the future when there is an opportunity to add more utility to the NFT, that's going to be a real unlock for Reddit. And I think people who have those are going to have an aha moment and say, "Oh, well I have one of those things. I can actually go get that benefit." So I think there's a lot to unfold here and it's going to be really interesting to watch this project.
0: Yeah, listening to you talk about how the customization part could be a lot larger in terms of uh, utility as uh, than I thought, it, it was uh, an aha moment for me. So <laughs> yeah, we, we will see, as as you said. But uh, yeah, there, there, there may be a lot more to unpacking here as, uh, as we move forward, which uh, I think is uh, important for us to do, uh, move forward to the next piece of uh, news. Because um, yeah, as I just said, I I was speaking about the potential of this of this project and um, you see, you see it in a different way. And it's not uncommon for for everybody you know, to come to, to web3 and find different approaches or find different uh, utilities or different futures for for where this is gonna take us. And um, to this end or to help um, let's say to, to help bring everybody to, the, to to a similar understanding or at least to a similar base, uh, MetaMask has launched a service called uh, MetaMask Learn, which uh, is just uh, like like a guide that explains some of the basics of um, Web3, using wallets, um, de- making digital payments, and uh, other topics that are necessary, essential, let's say, to to at least essential today to interact with the with Web3. And um, I wanted uh, maybe for you to explain to to the audience here. <laughs> What is MetaMask and uh, who is behind this this service and uh, why do you think they are launching this resource?
2: Yeah. So I think anybody who's been in the Web3 space for uh, more than a few minutes will come across MetaMask. Uh, it's one of the first things you probably interact with, although there are new wallets coming out. And maybe we'll take a step back. So MetaMask is a cryptocurrency wallet and a wallet is basically the piece of software that allows you to prove your ownership of the tokens uh, that you own. So these could be non-fungible tokens, these NFTs, these could be fungible cryptocurrency tokens, you know, uh, ETH or BTC or any other type of cryptocurrency. And it's really how the user manages their Web3 assets. And so MetaMask is one of the oldest and probably most well-known and and most used uh, Web3 wallets out there. MetaMask was originally and still is a project that came out of a group called consensus consensus is and w- was and is a uh, early sort of visionary in the in the crypto space um, they raised a bunch of money uh, during the days of uh, like ICOs so back in 2017 2018 and they created a bunch of these uh, projects essentially they had this really interesting uh, concept around decentralization and how they would create these decentralized projects, MetaMask was one of those projects. And so MetaMask started as kind of a small idea and it has now blossomed into one of the most well-used or, or most used wallets in the Web3 space. And I think what the reason why they're creating this resource is all about education. So anybody who's working in the Web3 space and is, a, you know, an evangelist for Web3 has probably come across that deer in the headlights moment when you're trying to explain something to somebody about Web3 and realize like, wow, there's a lot to unpack here. There's a lot to explain here. And I think MetaMask sees that opportunity with this resource and they've created a really friendly sort of uh, handheld experience for people to go through and start to learn about some of the core concepts that are behind Web3 so that people can start to appreciate um, and really benefit from the underlying values that Web3 brings to the internet.
0: This is not an ad for (laughs) MetaMask Learn, but I really love what they've done in terms of explaining uh, Web3. So if you allow me, I'm going to read their definition of Web3 and then I want to hear your comments. It's a very aspirational definition, as you will see. Okay, I'm quoting here. Web3 is an umbrella term for the vision of a better internet, an internet with an added identity, money, and social layer. An internet built upon the protocols that value transparency and innovation. An internet that siphons power away from big corporations and instead places you at the helm of your data. Close quote. What do you think?
2: I think that's very well said. So (laughs) kudos to uh, whoever on the MetaMask team wrote that. It's great copywriting. I think they've captured, uh, done a really good job of capturing the values of Web three, but. Maybe digging into that a little bit more. Um, so when we, when we talk about this better vision of the Internet, um, identity, money and the social layer comes up quite a bit. And I think why it's so important is because if we think about the Web2 platforms of today, those are all controlled by third parties, by these intermediaries. So your identity online is linked to services like Google and Facebook. And while that's very convenient for us because those are massive services and they plug into everything at this point, it also means that our identity is in the hands of a third party. And so if for some reason we disagree with the way they think about our identity, there's not a lot that we can do about that as an individual consumer. On the topic of money, uh, there's never really been a great way to transfer value person to person on the Internet it's always required, again, a third party. So you need a bank or you need a service like Venmo to be able to transfer any kind of value across the internet. And so rethinking what money means in a digital environment is very key to Web3. And it's one of the biggest unlocks, I think, for for our digital future, because it means that we can start collaborating person to person without needing Uh, permission from a third party in the middle without needing somebody else to facilitate that for us. Um, You know, in today's world of cash, which I know cash is not very common these days, but, you know, the original uh, magic of cash was that you could just, you you could walk around and transact with people, right? It was a fungible currency. You could walk up to a marketplace and you could have your transactions and you don't need anybody in the middle of that. Um, And speaking of in the middle of that, I think Web3's other superpower is the social layer which MetaMask is talking about. And that social layer is really about how do we as individuals start connecting to each other without, again, the need for the third-party platform? Are you seeing a theme here? Um, This is all about removing those intermediaries so that we can be who we are, we can transfer value, and we can connect with each other um, independently. And along the way, because these, these protocols are open, meaning that anybody can participate, those benefits are transferred directly to us. We become the owners of our data. We become the owners of the usage of our data. We get to say what happens to our information and the way we benefit from that or the way that we exchange that for some sort of benefit. Um, So at the end of the day, you know, it really is about removing the intermediaries. It's about a little bit about fighting back against the big corporations. Although, you know, to be fair, it's not all bad from big corporations, but I do think as consumers, uh, we don't have enough leverage right now. And Web3 is aiming to give that back to us. And so that's that's what I think. I think they've done a great job with this definition. They've captured a, a lot of the values of Web3 in that.
0: And and you have captured pretty much everything that goes into this uh, Metamask Learn resource. Because uh, some of the topics that they go deep into are direct Ownership, elimination of intermediaries, intermediaries, uh, digital payments, uh, these decentralized uh, apps. So you pretty much uh, covered everything. I have a question out of the blue. Do you know how many million, how many people, let's say, use uh, MetaMask wallets or half MetaMask wallets?
2: Are they? I don't the have that number off the top of my head. It's in the millions, but I don't know for sure. It's in the million. And do
0: you think it's more or less than four hundred eighty something million?
2: Uh, I would guess less because
0: the last piece of news for today is about a company that has 480 plus million users. Can you speak about this a bit?
2: I'd love to. You you know I'm a huge music fan, so this one goes straight to my heart. Okay, so here's the deal. Spotify, which has 480 million users, is now testing what they are calling token-enabled playlists. So let's dig into this a little bit. So if you don't know, (laughs) if you've been living in Iraq, Spotify is a music streaming service. They're global. Again, 480 users. They're massive. And they have this new service called Token Enabled Playlists. And what it does is it allows the holder of an NFT to connect their wallet to Spotify and get access to these uh, special access or exclusive playlists. And these are playlists that have been curated. Um, They may have exclusive tracks. I think, you know, TBD on what the content of those is. But it's this way to sort of open up these exclusive playlists to a subset of their audience. Um, They're currently working with some pretty large NFT collections on this. So Fluff, Moonbirds, Kingship, and Overlord Overlord are all communities that are able to access these playlists um, with their NFTs. Um, And then they'll be updated during this test period. They're doing a three-month test period um, and only community members are going to be able to access those. Um, So it's a really interesting experiment. I think there's a lot Uh, to be learned here as as marketers and consumers in terms of how Web3 can actually come into the mainstream and start doing some really cool things for us. Um, So one of the things that stuck out to me, and I'm curious to get your take, is this terminology that they're using. So token-enabled playlists. What do you think of that?
0: Right. So it's funny that uh, you you notice this part because uh, just one second ago we were talking about metamask learn trying to make this terminology more approachable to users and now we have spotify just going away <laughs> with all of that and trying to make a different terminology that is even more accessible which i think is i think it's good because so instead of trying to teach users a new terminology that may sound a bit um, techy uh, what Spotify is doing here is trying to make all of this uh, lingo much more approachable, much easier for for users to understand. So when they say token enabled playlists, that's kind of simple to understand. I think everybody will uh, pretty much uh, see where where they're going to. And uh, another another sentence or another definition that you that that you threw to me before was. Uh, this one that is also apparently taking taking hold, which is token aware services. Again, uh, very very simple. It sounds techy, but more more innovat- more like innovation rather than technology, which uh, is uh, of course something that is much more appealing to to the majority of users so i think i think it's very good that the, instead of trying to teach users what they need to learn in order to to use this service what they are doing is they are trying to talk to users uh, in the same language that they already speak and making it just something more innovative and uh, that sounds uh, cool basically uh, yeah this is pretty much what i think about this
2: yeah, you know, you hit the nail on the head. When it comes to great experiences, we have to meet people where they are. And I think another aspect of, you know, making this more approachable for people and making this something that the ordinary consumer um, can benefit from is the actual user experience of how you would go about accessing one of these playlists. So there was a tweet out there. Uh, we can post it in the show notes, but there's a tweet uh, that kind of has a screenshot flow of how you connect your wallet, which holds your NFT, and then how you get access to those playlists. And what's interesting is that flow that they're using is very, very similar to the feature that Twitter added um, six or seven months ago that allows you to basically connect your wallet and choose an NFT image as your profile image. And so what's interesting about that is we're starting to see the emergence of this sort of common user experience or common flow inside of these very Web2 apps that is letting people interact with their tokens and then get some sort of benefit from that. And what's what's really great about that, I think, is you know if you look at services like Login with Google, um, those have become table stakes for any modern website. Most modern websites and services allow you to connect with Google. It's very simple for the consumer. They don't have to manage as many accounts. And every website that does that uses the exact same flow, the exact same user experiences. So people don't have to learn this over and over again or wonder if they did the right steps. And I think we're starting to see that emerge in these experiments from companies like Twitter and Spotify who have massive reach, huge audiences, and have the potential to really make this an approachable benefit for consumers.
0: Which is also kind of like the dream for Anybody who's been using uh, Web3 services for, for a while, this idea of just having your, your wallet, your assets in your wallet and seamlessly connecting to everything, not only to to Web3 services, but also to these uh, other apps that are more Web2, as you say, but uh, could still make, make use of uh, some of the Web3 potential. Okay, just to end here, I want to throw at you the same question that you threw at me before when it came up, when we were talking about uh, Reddit NFTs. So what do you think is uh, the future here for for these uh, NFTs or for these um, token-enabled playlists? How do you think they bring something new to,
2: to Spotify? So 480 million users is massive, right? That's That's so many people. And within that audience... There are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of different audience types. People that are interested in different kinds of music, people that listen to music for different reasons, people that uh, use different services that are complementary to Spotify. You know all of these things that help define who a customer might be. And what's interesting about this experiment is that by targeting certain communities and opening up access to these. Ex- exclusive playlists, this is actually an opportunity for marketers to start segmenting an existing audience using Web3 technology and using Web3 as the benefit that they're conveying to people in exchange for people opting in. So these people that are in the communities like Moonbirds and Fluff, for example, they likely have activities and interests that are similar. That's why they're a community. And so, by zeroing in on particular communities and giving access to uh, playlists or artist content, you know who knows where they go on the on the content side. They have so much reach; they could do some really cool things. But this is an interesting way for Spotify to actually start, we'll say, resegmenting their audience um, into new slices, and then being able to target those audiences in the future as Web3 becomes even more mainstream. Because now they have connected wallets. Now they understand maybe other NFTs that those users are holding. They can start to do some sort of, you know, brand affinity studies to understand what are some partnerships we we should go after? Um, What are some ways that we can improve this experience for very specific audience types within our consumer base? So I think this is a really interesting uh, data analytics exercise that that will turn out of this. I think it's a really interesting segmentation opportunity. Um, And I think Spotify is going to learn some interesting things from this experiment.
0: Something that we will continue to uh, research in the future, it will probably be the topic of a deep dive, but not today's uh, deep dive where we should probably get into. Shall we?
2: Let's get into it. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Today, we have Rebecca Orlov from Epic Playdate. She is the CEO and co-founder, and she's going to dive into Web3 with us. Welcome, Rebecca.
1: Thank you for having me. Hi. Well,
2: why don't we kick it off? Can you tell us a little bit about your background and in particular, what prompted your agency's focus on Web3 uh, with this thing that you're calling Brand3?
1: Yeah. So... My background is in advertising. I started working in traditional advertising in 1998. Um, I worked in global agencies, um, started out as a broadcast producer, which meant that I produced radio and TV commercials. At the time, content was not a thing. Social channels were not a thing. And it was actually the dot-com boom. So websites were just pretty new. Um, And so... Um I started working in the space um in that space I guess that would be what web 1 is really what it was <laughs> if we look at the uh, um timeline of web 1 2 and 3 so I started in advertising I worked in this space for about 15 17 years um and I got a chance to work in almost every industry every vertical uh producing TV commercials and then ultimately into content of course as we mo- as I moved through my career um I launched Epic Playdate about four years ago under a different name, um, and then transitioned it to Epic Playdate two years ago. Uh, we are a creative firm uh, of strategists, designers, storytellers, and of course, all around good humans, as I like to say. Um, and we really work with clients. We take their mission and model, and then we translate that into visual narrative. So by way of website design and builds, immersive decks, tonality suites, activations. And we do this all with brand uh, strategic brand positioning um, and just a look at truly who the personas are and the behavior of those wonderful customers buying our clients product because they solve their challenge in a unique way. So we really focus on that. Um, we have wonderful partners that we bring on for our projects. We're truly like a vertical landscape. Um, whatever our clients need, we can truly deliver in the space. Um, in the last year, we introduced a brand uh, three suite of services, which include our same services, but through a bit of a different lens. So yes, um, I created this concept of... Well, I didn't create the concept of brand three, but I definitely use the term brand three. There's a handful, a very small handful of us using the term brand three. And truly what that means is another pathway to purchase, which is the blockchain. So of course, we have our in-store purchases that will never go away. The introduction of e-commerce just about, what, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, that will never change. Um, And now there's that big third one, which is blockchain, which is just forming, which will become truly probably the primary way to purchase as we move in the next 10, 20, 30 years. Um, And that's where brand three sits. So we can still help our clients in a meaningful way from standard marketing principles, best practices. But again, through a different lens, because it's a different group of people right now who are living on-chain, who are purchasing on-chain, and who want to know about blockchain. So we can help our customers you know, really define who those personas are and then speak directly to them.
2: That is a fantastic intro. I'm really excited to, to dig more into this. And I think it's refreshing to have uh, somebody with such deep experience all the way back to Web one. I was also there during those times, Um, so you know, I think you know we can relate in terms of the seismic shift that we feel like this is going to introduce into the future of the of the web.
1: Yeah, it's definitely. Well, it's interesting because I love the um, really clear kind of timeline overview um, of Web one, two, and three. And I was really in the beginning of all of those. Now that I'm realizing it, Web one, I was working in advertising on these TV commercials. Um, I worked on a then client. It was a dot-com. I did what's called the mnemonic, which is the sound that is attached to a tagline. So you might have heard of this company called Expedia. That was one of our clients. There's still a dot-com and I love it, but you might remember the commercial that's like the dot-com, that like kind of cool sound.
2: Dot-com. Yep, yeah. <laughs> I
1: worked on that. Um, I'm pretty sure I had uh, at the time when you did voiceover um, casting, you would get uh tape cassettes and a piece of paper, one through whatever, and you'd have to go find the voiceover like number 16. You have to fast forward through the audio tape. This is like 1999, 2000, 2001, 2002. So yeah. of course it's evolved. And then web two, Um, I started my blog in 2007, 2008, and unbeknownst to me, that was uh very early. So that afforded me an, a really wonderful opportunity to, um, become a blogger very early and be on that really forward part of that wave, moving into what we know as content creation. So that was a really big part of my life and still is.
0: I wasn't there when Web1 rolled out, but uh, I bet that the situation is now somewhat uh, similar in terms of uh, what brands thought of the opportunities that websites could, could brought on. And now we have Web3 and we have the metaverse. So What opportunities do you think the metaverse presents uh, for brands?
1: What opportunities? Uh, Infinite opportunities. Um, So I've been really so my focus, my lens has been on um, storytelling through NFT experiences, projects, as I say, or initiatives. Um, I'm interested in. Projects last year, like Q one and Q2 of 2022, that were doing that were more rooted, that were doing more initiative-based experiences, not just one offs. And then through that, I fell into the metaverse space. Um I took, I actually completed Wharton's uh Business in the Metaverse Economy course in the fall of 2022. It was the first Ivy League institution to deploy a course focused on the metaverse, which was a, a great course. Um, learned a lot. And I have to say, The infinite opportunities are there to live, shop, relate, enjoy in persistent worlds, i.e. always expanding, always ongoing. But there's a huge but to this. But we are absolutely nowhere near where this is going to be because the computing power does not yet exist. Therefore, the tools do not exist what we're seeing now are web browser based metaverse experiences and they're awesome you know the metaverse is singular to me it's actually in conversation and debate i believe the metaverse sits on top of the internet much like there's one internet with infinite opportunities for website experiences and apps but the the metaverse will sit on top of that with infinite worlds and you can travel to all of them so the opportunity to have when we learn and can build the technology and have that actual power to then go and create and use these hardware and software experiences. So VR sets, AR, you know, AR experiences—they're very nascent. They're awesome, but they're nowhere near where they're going to be. Um, like for example, you know, well, I will say this: Web three. I don't think there's an actual definition of it. I will share mine. Um, I say to my clients and customers and people who are curious. To me, Web3 is just a space of undefined time. And inside this space, technology will either be introduced or will evolve. That is so significant, it will shift how we live. That is it. Like, we are on a Zoom right now. It's completely normal for us to hang out on the Zoom. It was really easy to get on. It was easy to book. The infrastructure is there for us. No big deal. It's like whatever bucks a month, like super easy. 20 years ago, this is not an option, but it seamlessly grew into our lives and we're conditioned to use it. So again, my phone is next to me. I mean, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, not only did this not exist, but the computing power to make a tiny phone that this size and this um, adaptability and capacity did not exist. So again, Web3 is just a space of time. And that space of time includes blockchain, of course, will be that, that foundation layer. And then inside of that, things will lift inside, metaverse persistent worlds, of course, crypto as a form of currency, digital currency. We have um, you know, AR, VR, XR experiences living inside of there, interoperability woven throughout. So there's so many neat things coming. We're just so early.
2: I could not agree more with that perspective. Um and and I really uh the idea that Technology is kind of the hurdle right now. Computing power, specifically, that really resonates with me. You know, I've I've spent a lot of time sort of dreaming about where this all goes, and it really does come down to like unlocking this base layer of technology that makes all of this stuff really interoperable, really seamless, really fluid, and then it just fades into the background, like you're saying, the smartphone. Right? We don't think about that anymore. It's just by our side. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that. One of the um, things that you brought up is the technical challenge of getting there. I think there's also there's a challenge on the human side too, uh, for marketers. And so as marketers are approaching web three in your experience, and your work with your clients, what kind of challenges are you seeing or should a marketer expect as they approach the space?
1: It's a really good question. I think there are a ton of challenges because again, it's new and we like professionals in the marketing space or in any space, um, are conditioned to be working inside of pillars and, um, you know, good old job descriptions that and responsibilities that don't lean towards anything related to blockchain. So it's really hard to understand and then therefore quantify experiences, campaigns, events, you know, after getting your budget approved, right? It's hard to do that. So a lot of the marketers are um professional that I've seen some, there's definitely a handful that are like, let's do this. And there's a lot that Don't really understand yet because they just haven't been onboarded. Um, And listen, budgets are crazy, timelines are crazy. There's products and services that they are slated to sell, whether it's um, you know a SaaS product, a a platform we all live on, whether it's a tangible product, a good. Either way, these professionals are tasked with selling those now. So it's hard to imagine a Web three future for them, um, for their entire population. And therefore, they're not learning. I think in a holistic way what the opportunities are. What, um, my, what my hope is is that marketers will un- learn and understand as we are all learning, and understanding. No one's an expert. We're all learning and understanding. Some people now have been in the mix for four or five, you know, years. I've been in it for about two years, and I'm just learning. I'm in DAOs. I'm in. I've uh, per- invested in NFT projects. I've been living in metaverse spaces and playing around because I want to have fun delightful and i want to see what's going on and what is this but that being said i think that my biggest um and my biggest um understanding of this and my my hope is that marketers will say we don't yet understand this let's learn and then let's take one of our cohorts one of our customer buckets and let's bring them in to a blockchain web3 experience and then prove our concept because they're there. There are people, no matter what you're selling product or service, I bet there's at least one person, let alone, you know, what I call your first 100 customers who want to go on chain with you because they're curious too. And they can be your ambassadors, your advocates, they can come in and do the experience. But in order to do that, you have to keep talking to them. It's really simple. It's called retention marketing, right? Keep going. You know, I've seen so many companies what I call fail well because they're doing these, whether it's a one off event or a campaign, they're not talking to anyone after the end of this campaign or event. They just abandon the experience, and it's a huge miss.
2: I, yeah you know well said and and I agree with finding those early adopters you know I think back to I was giving a talk about what they recently and, and speaking with the audience reminding them that when the iPhone came out there was no App Store right? But there were plenty of people who wanted to play with a text message app and a calculator <laughs> and maybe, yeah. you know, a smaller iPod in the beginning. We're, we're out there, right? The, the early adopters yeah. are there. They can guide the way. I was at South by last year, listening to uh, some some brand thought leaders talk about this and, and how, you know, that is where you're going to find the gold in the beginning. And more importantly, that's where you're going to learn the biggest lessons.
1: And my hope, like, my hope is that marketers can say, we're going to actually reshare our story. So for example, I think one of the brands that are absolutely creating what I call a blueprint for web three storytelling is Gucci. It doesn't matter if you can afford a Gucci product or not. Anyone can enjoy the experience that they're unfolding, including my soon to be the Sunday nine-year-old daughter, because we spend time inside of their experiences. Gucci town is actually, and I mean, if you even just read their press release about Gucci Town and about Gucci Land Vault, which is the event they had in uh, tandem and partnership with Sandbox in the fall in November, which was really cool. It was like a two, three-week event. All they are really doing is sharing their story. That's really their goal right now. But guess who they're sharing it with? A next generation shopper, my daughter, who is nine years old, and now knows what Gucci is. She doesn't really know the high quality. I mean, she knows the high quality. Excuse me. She doesn't really know how much they are. They're expensive, but she knows that they're high quality. She's understanding that there's a heritage story. It's a long term, high value brand, and they get they're creating really delightful, whimsical activations that she is enjoying, and I'm enjoying too. Her mom. You know, I'm I'm 46, and I'm like, let's go into Gucci Town. And there's a floral cafe and we can buy a latte and then we can go look at art and like, she can go play a game. We play games together. I mean, there's just so many layers in there. There's like three purses in there. That is it. But what I see, because I know Gucci has a brand is some beautiful um, iterations of their uh, monograms, some really cool colorways that I know that they're using. Um, They're sharing a museum like gallery. Um, To me, I love it to her. She's like, this is cool. Like she's not being sold anything. She's sharing a story, and that to me is a what an opportunity for any brand, no matter if you're five years old or 100 years old. Share your story again in a new way and get those next gen folks in the mix. They're Gen Alpha, Gen Z. They want to learn and they want to shop.
0: When I was doing research for for this call, I, I went into your website, and uh, the first thing I got was a pop up uh, that you had just uh, received uh, an award. You can maybe speak about this a bit, but um, then you just explained that you came into this uh, arena. 2 years ago and back then it was even more like this than today but what i mean is that back then 2 years ago everything that had been built pretty much had been built by by male audiences right that had been building apps and stuff so what do women bring into into the into web3 what, what do we what, what do they bring in terms of thinking about you know the apps that could be built in here that haven't been built yet it's a
1: good question well for for better or for worse there will always just be a disparity of gender for like, men v women. I mean that is what it is and that is fine. I honestly come at the lens of like good humans like like people led businesses versus a um, women led. I mean the fact that there is like in an, interna- an international day of women equality kills me. I'm like why are we celebrating that? Every day should be a international day of women's equality and people equality, you know. So it almost perpetuates it. However, Because of disparity. Yes. I think it's nice that there's spotlights and, um, you know, this it's really, um, it's, it's not really an award. It's more of like, I was just added to this list of phenomenal trailblazers, just people who are women really, um, shifting and growing and creating, exploring and building in with a web three focus, um, on this list of 115. I think it's inspirational women of web three, um, by unstoppable, domains, which you know of, I'm sure. Unstoppable Women of Web3 is the offset of that. Um, I, I um, Interestingly enough, Unstoppable Domains is what really propelled me into Web3. I'd already kind of been doing a little bit of crypto stuff, but really like, wow, you can buy a crypto domain? What is that? Um, as someone who's a storyteller marketer, I always have, I think I have like 37 domain names, like now. Like if I think something's cool, I will for like 10 bucks or like five bucks. I'm like, got it. I'll buy it and I'll let it lapse or I'll keep it. Um, That's how I had my, I, I bought Epic Playdate. Fun, well, as a sidebar, I bought EpicPlaydate.com. My website is EpicPlaydate.co. I bought .com probably 13 years ago and I let it lapse and Hyundai snagged it. So I can't, that's why I have a co because Hyundai snagged my domain. Unbeknownst to me, this happened 13 years ago. Cause I always knew I wanted to do something with this with this name. Um, I do own all the social though, so they can't get that. But um, cause I I always go in first. And I always typically, when I buy a domain, I'll buy, I'll go grab the social as well. But that being said, I thought crypto domain sounded interesting. And just yesterday, um, Unstoppable announced that like a cool partnership with Ready Player Me. Like your domain name really is your identity, right? And it should be attached to your wallet, which also holds all your interoperable assets, ideally in the future. So much like I take, like you might take like a bag or a backpack with you as you roll, I'll take a purse, my bag. When I go from place to place, it should be like that. Right now it's not, we know, online. Like if you purchase something inside the Apple store, inside of Minecraft, it lives there. And there's a reason why. Uh, these large companies and entities don't want you to go anywhere else. They want you to stay inside their space. So um, but yeah, women in web three, wow, there are so many women doing incredible, incredible things inside of this space and outside of this space that are creating and building. Um, I often will see a lot of male-driven projects uh noted in like now like web three focused publishing platforms, media platforms. Um, in some of the DAOs I'm in, but they are there. And I always, well, I mostly always, if I can, will promote, pronounce, and like try to spotlight women-led experiences as well, because they're incredible. So my foray, my jump into a lot of projects was with women-led projects. Um, Boss Beauties, one of them. BFF, I'm an original holder of their bracelet. I now have six charms. I just love what they're doing. Crypto Chicks, Surge, Women Rise. I mean, I'm in so many, but I'm also in many others. I'm in Friends with Benefits, Radar, I'm in Seed Club, uh, Jump. You know, I mean, there's just everything happening. But if I can be in all different types of DAOs and experiences and slide in there with a few women led experiences, you know, I just don't know if people are really focusing on it still. Um, I see LinkedIn posts all the time and it's like, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, what about? women rise or women, um, world of women. I mean, Oh my God, they're killing it. They're just not represented. I don't know why. Um, so if I can help a little bit, I will like, thank you for having me on the podcast. Like, I don't know how many women asked and said, or like said, cool, let's catch up. Or if you've invited on, uh, to do this yet, yeah, you're, you're new. And I look forward to, I know I have a feeling you're going to be bringing on all different types of people. Um, but we're there and we are happy to be, Building and sharing and focusing on on Web three experiences.
2: Amazing. Well, I have to say, your perspective on the space is is incredibly refreshing, um, and I, I love how you're just bringing a layer of experience and practicality to the space that's that's still inspired by that idealism. Um, and I totally agree with you know the the women in the space being you know, underrepresented, but definitely they're in full force. Um, there, are, there are some amazing projects out there. So thank you for leading by example, um, to close us out here. And, and thanks again for spending time with us. What are your, maybe give us top three tips or insights for brands that are getting involved in space.
1: Oh yeah. Um, number one, do get in there, like definitely get in there. Um, and really bring on either a consultant and or you know external partner to help you know with that, or someone who's already in your organization who is very curious and interested because we're all learning. So one, yes, consider getting in there. And one A or one B rather would be onboard. There are many companies like mine and others, and either simple free resources where you can onboard to Web three, really clean understanding of what the pillars are of Web3, which is just the space of time. Um, and then from there, my number two is look at your existing business model, audit. Then do discovery and determine, cool, now that we understand what blockchain is, it's you know immutable, it's evergreen, it's public ledger. There's a lot of neat things attached to it. Of course, ownership experiences. But what does this mean for our future? Because once we shift to blockchain, we're never going back. That doesn't mean you're... Br- and then to b part 2B is consider this mindset. You're bringing your customers in buckets, in pieces. You're not bringing every single person who has bought your product over to Web3. You want to go and define your personas, your ar- those archetypes, right? Find out who your most engaged customers are, who are curious about Web3 experiences, because if you're speaking to them through marketing principles and best practices, you might know who those people are. It could be 10 people. It could be 100 people. It could be 1,000. Take just those people and then go. Create a meaningful campaign that is in line with your brand narrative, your mission, your brand promise, and of course, your why. Like, What does your product or service do that uniquely solves those customers' challenges? and then bring them on chain. And then three, talk to them. Do not let them go. Do not abandon them. There's acquisition and then there's retention. You're always going to be speaking to your customers. Keep creating meaningful engagement narratives. You can absolutely, and you should, there is only one way to go, which is using current practices, email, SMS, uh, website experiences, you name it, through product purchasing. So best practicing best marketing practices absolutely apply but it's a new and unique customer base that you're talking to
2: I love it I love it Rebecca thank you so much for coming yeah. on the podcast and and sharing your insights here you're obviously an expert in the space um where can people go
1: I'm <laughs> not really I don't I'm an expert <laughs> uh, but I'm definitely passionate and curious how's that On the way to
2: on the way to <laughs> well, You're <laughs> on, <the> way to... <laughs> on your way to expert yes where can, where can people go to find you an Epic play date?
1: Awesome. Well, you can uh, find us at epicplaydate.co. If you go to com, you'll go to Hyundai. So we want to keep you over here. Um, my Twitter is pretty busy, but it's just me. It's uh, at Rebecca Orlove, Orlov, O R L O V. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Feel free to connect with me there, which is also Rebecca Orlov. Um, and yeah, I'm excited about um, the future. And again, meeting people, but like both of you who are creating and exploring as well. It's, it's a real renaissance time and I feel so fortunate to have like hopped into it. And I feel like the vibe is the same across the board. I feel like you guys also feel that way. It's just like a palpable cool experience right now.
2: Absolutely. Well, thank you again for joining us.
1: Awesome. Thank you.
2: Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to marketing needs web
1: three. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. You can find our host, Nick Casares, on Twitter at N-I-C-K-C-A-S-A-R-E-S.